Hello and welcome to Project U. I'm your host Leighton Collins and we're very much back into September now, aren't we? Summer holidays are a distant memory. Um, so today I want us to have a little think about life, life stages, which may give you hope or maybe a little bit depressing as you reflect on where you are, where you've come from and where you're hoping to go. Um, so the whole point of this uh, podcast is to look at you. The clue is in the name. And we look at you through that lens of different kind of work sectors and through careers in the the widest uh, sense. This little mini series is very much more about self-reflection, but we're not forgetting that we're looking through that lens of your career and that aspect of yourself. So let's have a little jingle and let's get into it. So how old are you? And how old do you feel? They're quite different questions. Are those two numbers that immediately come up uh, the same? And if they're not the same, why are they not the same? There's no arguing how old you are. You were born and you've got your birthday and that's how old you are. But you might feel wise beyond your years. And you might be a 20-year-old who actually feels more mature than that. I think more often than not, we're, um, we're older in our age, but we feel like, do you know what? I feel about five or 10 years younger. And now that might be particularly if in your workplace you're surrounded by people who are younger than you and they keep you young. I've met people in their 50s and 60s in the workplace very sprightly and very full of energy, um, down with the kids, so to speak. They're aware of popular culture because it's what's happening around them. And the workplace is really weird. When we're in school, everyone is our age. When we're in you know, school and college, everyone's pretty much our age. Then you get into the workplace and suddenly... You might be 21 and a really close work friend is old enough to be your parent or even your grandparent. And so that person who is 45 or 60 odd, suddenly they are friends with someone who's 21. It's like, this is weird. I don't feel like you're my grandkid or my kid. Uh, we're equal. And so there's a different thing happening in the workplace than just straight up how old you are. Um, I was thinking back as I decided to dive into life stages for this one I remember being at school and I would have been maybe year nine year 10 maybe so 14 15 ish something like that and we had a supply teacher for um for technology cdt woodwork whatever it's it's now called manufacturing or whatever they call it um and I remember him saying something along the lines of you're all very young you've got the, the world ahead of you uh you've got your hopes and dreams and choices before you but suddenly you'll blink and you'll look in the mirror and there'll be this old man staring back at you and he kind of grabbed his face and his jowls and his wrinkled brow and everything and made this point and I remember thinking all right old fella um, calm down but the older that I've got the more I can see what he's saying not that you are you know physically aging and losing your hair and all that sort of stuff but there was this supply teacher who I don't know maybe was in his 50s or something like that um, and in his head was someone who was probably in their 20s or 30s. And so his sense of self, his, his, his identity that's rattling around in his inner monologue and the way he thinks and the way he sees and perceives the world is different to the old guy who he sees in the mirror when he brushes his hair, what's left of it. So time is always marching on, but we can be that quite vibrant kind of internal thought process. Now, I am hanging on to my early 40s. I'm hanging on by my fingertips because in reality, I'm in my mid 40s. And sometimes I wonder where that time goes. I remember being 
10 years younger as if it was yesterday. I remember finishing university like it was not long ago, and it's a long time ago now. Um, and I still feel somewhere in my head, I probably feel like I'm in my kind of early 30s, whatever that means, my late 20s, perhaps at a push, but probably more like my early to mid 30s. So I feel 10 years younger than I am. Um, admittedly not at the moment because I've, I've injured my back and I can I cannot run regular listeners will be sad to hear um, so I feel like my body's catching up with me a little bit but I feel like I'm about kind of 34 35 in my head so I want us to have a little think about life stages as we're reflecting on on you and how old you feel and how old you are uh, and I'll kind of frame it through my story a little bit so I'm going to talk you through my career journey um, and actually before my career journey even began I was quite a, a shy teenager um, particularly when I was around adults I, I remember just freaking out when you had to kind of talk to a family friend or if you saw your teacher in the supermarket I would really uh, just go into my shell I was okay talking with other kids but I was really shy particularly around adults and then when I was old enough when I was 16 I went and got a job in a supermarket um, as a kind of year 11 kid and, and, and right through my sixth form. And the kind of highs of that, of working in a supermarket, was I started to feel like a grown-up. It really knocked those edges off, that shyness. And so it developed these skills of self-confidence, of communication, of, of working as part of a team. I was working with adults. And so I was, I was yes, one of the younger members of the team, but I was working with people who were university students and they would work their shifts around their courses. I was working with people who were old enough to be my um, parents and I was working with people who were older than that, who were probably old enough to be my grandparents. And I was building this kind of social scene that I hinted at earlier. Um, so, you know, you, you go out to a social thing when I was a little bit older, not when I was 16. Um, and you're kind of out with people who are not just your age. And there was something quite significant about that, I suppose. I was working with the public, dealing with people who might be happy or not so happy, and you're trying to resolve that. Um, you know, even if you're sat on a on a checkout, um, ringing all their food through, there is that little bit of chat with whoever's in front of you, and you might be chatting with the old lady who comes in, and you're the only person she's going to talk to all day. So, as a shy kid, going into that environment really helped me. And you may have similar experiences if you've worked in hospitality or retail or something like that. Um, that it just boosts your sense of self. I guess a low from working in a supermarket was I knew it wasn't a forever job. I had no desire to work there forever. I wanted to do A-levels. I wanted to go to university. Um, and I didn't even think that it would lead into the wider sector. I didn't particularly care about working in retail for the rest of my days, never mind in that in that particular job. It was only ever a chapter. And so I knew that. And so you you have that little sense of, how much purpose is there to this? And if I'm still doing this when I'm 25, am I going to begin to doubt myself? So I kind of a stepping stone, a chapter of my life, and off I went. And off I went to university. And so during uni, I would go home and, and work little kind of Christmas shifts and whatever hours they needed in the supermarket. But eventually I, I ditched that. In my third year, because I did a, a sandwich degree at uni, I worked for a big multinational company, big international company up um, through a university placement. I was paid and I was paid pretty well. Um, and so the highs of that really was 
I got to see a really different world. Um, so there I am. I'm a, a working class kid from the north. I'm the first to go to university. Um, it's perfectly normal for a working class kid to work in a shop, isn't it? In a supermarket. That that didn't feel too alien. But suddenly I'm in this massive company, um, top, top equipment being used. And okay, it was back in kind of what would it have been like the turn of the millennium 99 2000 that kind of time and so top technology and meetings and presentations and training and opportunity a really different offer a really good company um a, a specific high would be jetting off business class to brussels for a work training conference for a weekend and staying in a luxury five-star hotel as a kind of 20 year old that was that was pretty nice um the low i guess would be again as a student worker for a fixed term for a gap year well it wasn't a gap year placement year 12 months i didn't really feel like it was going to go places yes they might offer me a job but i still needed to finish my degree um and there was a limit of how much you could get stuck in because ultimately are they going to trust this 12 month student worker or are they going to trust their 23 24 year old graduate worker for a I don't know, piece of work or whatever and then finish uni and start looking for a job bits of temp working um admin work did some work in it which was my degree and worked for a bank as well um and so a good way of kind of building that cv those sorts of post-university into your kind of 20s up to mid-20s that sort of stuff um taking the lead i ended up kind of um deputy lead of a team and running this team as well um and so again developing skills and i thought i was doing what i wanted to do but i guess the low of that was i ended up accidentally feeling a little bit lost so i was working for a, a bank in a good job for a good company um, I drifted away from what I'd gone to study, so I wasn't really applying my computing knowledge. And I had this sense that, do you know what? The harder I work, the outcome is just that this large organization generates more money for this faceless organization. And the reward is we get a, a higher multiplier on our year end bonus. So great. OK, the harder you work, the more money you're going to get because they're happy with what you're producing and and here's a few quid to say thanks very much but it didn't have that sense of purpose you know you work your socks off you have a really difficult day or a really busy day and you come home and you should have that sense of i've done something today and it, for me it wasn't ticking that box for some people it would be like you know what yeah i've absolutely aced those targets and i know that financially it's going to pay off so i've done something because i'm driven that way then that wasn't me um so i felt the need for a bit of a shift and the bit of the shift was the next chapter so i'm moving here from that working class kid who started in retail in a teenage job to beginning to apply my university studies to slightly drifting away from it to totally moving away from it so I, my next step was nothing to do with computing I, I became a youth worker and i ended up getting paid for that and the highs of that were were many so i felt like i made a difference that sense of coming back from the bank and going i ain't actually changed the world today i've just made a few quid i was changing lives i was um helping people i was building this fabulous team i was having a lot of fun as well actually i was developing myself myself my sense of leadership um i was the person in charge at times and people were looking for me young people were looking to me for direction for strategy but also for the practicals for operational stuff to happen 
have we booked this? Have we got that sorted? Are there tickets for this? Um, and at times, actually, I'm really proud and pleased to say that I was a little piece of the jigsaw where we, we really changed lives and potentially saved lives. Um, you can be working with people in very difficult circumstances. And so it's a really rewarding to be part of someone else's journey in that sense. And anyone who might work in like health and social care will probably have that same sense. If you have a client and you think, you know what, I've actually kept them back from the brink or I've really changed their life and, and, and got them back on their feet. There is a sense of reward that doesn't have a price tag ultimately. Um, the lows of that would be, well, first of all, um, it ended in redundancy. So that was a, a tough one to take when you kind of your role and, and and you begin to identify with that, but your role has been deemed uh, no longer required. And therefore you think, mm, I'm not really required any longer either. That's tough to take. But a, a, a bigger low realistically is the emotional difficulty that goes hand in hand with the high. So it's a real privilege to work with someone who's in a difficult situation, but it's also a real challenge to work with someone who's in a difficult situation because you care. You care about these people, even as a professional, as a social worker, I suppose, you would um, you would have to at least process what is going on if one of your clients is in a difficult place and it's going downhill. So there were times when that was tricky. Redundancy, my next step, we're nearly up to date here, so don't worry. Uh, my next step was I kind of had one eye on education of shifting out of youth work and moving into something a bit more formal. And so in some ways, that was the the push I needed. Uh, I didn't enjoy it and I wouldn't recommend being made redundant, but it was the push I needed. And so I went, right, let's do this. Volunteering, build up a bit of experience, show, showcasing the skills that I've got that can tra transition out of youth work into education. And the highs of that, which ended with my um, careers work in school, the highs was that purpose again, changing lives, um, inspiring people, having an impact, moving into that careers work. Fabulous. You know, I get to say these kids need to see the world in order that they can imagine what they can be. And so I've had a little mooch around Parliament. I've been in the House of Commons, the House of Lords, albeit with a, a group of st school students. That's my excuse to be able to go. I've been around um, advanced manufacturing plants and steelworks. I've been in law firms, tech companies. I've had tours of bits of um, Oxbridge, uh, Oxford and Cambridge unis where the public don't normally get to go and you take your kids. And I've seen amazing stuff because, you know, you're showcasing this stuff to them. But I've got I've got to see it as well. Um, those year 11s, year 12 finishers who come back and they say just thanks very much. You made a difference. You made me think higher and better and further. And I'm I'm going on that journey now. So thanks for your help, or thanks for practically helping me apply for and secure that scholarship, or thanks for you know helping me apply and get into that sixth form that me and my family really wanted. So they're the highs. That the lows were just. It's hard work. If you know anyone who works in education or teaching or whatever, the pace of work is is something else. It's hard work. Um, there can be times when students are moving in the opposite direction that you want them to go. So that means that you feel you have to work even harder to kind of lure them back onto the right path. Uh, the pay in the sector is not great. Teachers obviously have had all their uh, industrial action to highlight that. Um, and, and they do okay, but they don't get enough for the time and energy and effort and skills that they bring. But support staff, and you may not be aware, 
often are only paid term time only contracts, um, may work part time and it's, it's lower paid than you could find for applying those skills elsewhere ultimately. Uh, so you're balancing that, aren't you? Um, which almost brings me right up to date, my kind of current bit of uh, staying in careers. I feel like that's something I'm passionate about. You've seen that thread when I jumped from bank into youth work where I was like, oh, okay, I like to see change in people and support people on that journey. I like to walk that journey with them and inspire and raise that aspiration. And so now I'm working just with a slightly different client base, still in careers, um, working with students who might be in further education, higher education, apprenticeships, a little bit older. Uh, the high for me is still getting in front of people, supporting the one or the group, um, as well actually as I'm getting older that opportunity to build something strategic, steer systems and all that kind of thing. Um, and interestingly, I guess the the low part of a, a role as you work with older clients is you have less autonomy. Uh, it becomes much more about influence and persuasion rather than just being able to lead and tell. Uh, if I'm working with a, I know, a kid in school in year nine, I can say, right, I'm taking you out of your geography class to come and do this and you're going to do as you're told. If I'm working in the, know, the job center or like my current role, I much more need to convince someone that they want to spend some time with me processing their thoughts around their future. So slightly different, um, but still exciting. And what's next? We're up to date. I don't know what's next. And, you know, would I have known that I would be here when I was much younger? I don't know. Uh, what's next? Maybe it's something around policy or regional working or national working probably still within careers and still with that aim to support young people um, and, and students and that sort of age. Maybe something with government, maybe a, a large national player in my sector, uh, a big careers organization. I could look at being self-employed. I don't think I want to do that. Um, and then what will I do when I retire? Wow, I will feel old and I'll, I'll emphasize with um, that CDT teacher when the day comes when I get a retirement card from work. What will I do? Would I um, would I be doing some charity work? Will I be, I don't know, set up a scouts group? I don't currently have any passion in that, but who knows? Will I volunteer somewhere? How will I use my time? Um, and what would 16-year-old me have thought when I didn't actually go on to particularly use my computing, coding, and IT and stuff like that? So that's a, a thought for you, isn't it? Wherever you are, whatever age you are, you can think about yourself as you're hearing my story, and your story may be as rich as mine and may have gone on as long as mine, you may be a little bit younger and you may be in an earlier chapter. You may have been with one employer and that's as far as you've gotten, but there are things for you to think about. Okay, we're going to look at the experts. So um, Donald Super, now he was a psychologist uh, born in 1910, so some time ago. He developed a lot of theories which um, move into the careers theory and careers thinking that I've studied and thought about and experienced um, all the way up to his death in, in the 1990s, 1994. Um, there were various kind of propositions he made about self and different situations, career patterns, influences. Um, I know, like vocational choices, so things you want to do and stuff. 
And that is already a little bit dated. So even the stuff that he was working on as, as late as the 90s, that's some time ago. And life, technology and careers and industry comes at you fast, doesn't it? And things have moved on. But I think there are still things that we can learn from what he was thinking and what he was saying. I don't have time to dive into all of his propositions. Uh, by all means, if you want to be a careers nerd, I'd happily chat to you about that. You may want to um, just skim over that. But I do want to dive into something that he looked at. So he um, came up with this idea of um, this developmental approach to where we are, basically. Um, he, he says that life is founded on five life stages. So this might fit a bit more happily than all these more detailed psychology. And stage one is growth. So it might feel a little bit rigid, but let's go with it. So growth, like birth to about kind of mid-teens, kind of adolescence. Um, you can think of that four, five, six-year-old, that, that kind of fantasy. I want to be a astronaut. I want to be a cowboy. I want to be, you know, whatever. These kind of things that I've read in kiddies' books or seen in cartoons. I want to be, a, I want to be one of the Avengers. Um, and some of it is realistic. So a little bit of a throwback, but I want to be a train driver. I want to be a pro footballer. I want to be an astronaut. Okay, people do those for a job. You're probably not going to be one of the Avengers, but still that fantasy can become reality. And then as as kids are getting a little bit older, probably as they're hitting that shift from like year six secondary into early, uh, sorry, year six primary into early secondary, like 11, 12, they've got a real interest and they're beginning to see a bit more of who they are, what the world is, and what how they can mould the world. They may not think about jobs and careers and salaries and stuff, but they're thinking about purpose. Then you go on to that sense of a slightly older team um, where they have got some abilities where they can really consider the abilities, the skills, the preferences, the personality, who they are, and how that might meet a requirements attached to a certain job or a certain sector. You know, you think, for example, that 13, 14 year old, really kind, really caring, great with kids, does the babysitting for your auntie, whatever. Or, do you know what I mean? And then they're beginning to look at jobs in health and social care, which involve looking after, being kind, helping and all that sort of stuff. They're not particularly driven by a job in the city in finance because it doesn't quite match with already who they're beginning to think they are. So then. Life stage two from Donald Super was exploration. I'm going to talk it through in this kind of rigid way, but actually then we're going to unpack it a little bit in a, a kind of more modern way. Life stage two, that sense of kind of adolescence. When he was talking about this, it might be school leavers, that kind of, you know, 15, 16. My dad left school when he was 14. So, you know, a bit of a throwback before they raised the participation age. And now we tend to stay in education until at least 18, maybe 21 or something. Uh, but exploration, that person who is a school leaver into their early 20s, I suppose. Um, slightly tentative choices. Uh, they're maybe trying out, maybe built on some of that early childhood fantasy of I want to be, uh, I, don't know, I want to be a car mechanic. All right, well, that's what you're beginning to do. There's some discussions, there's some exploration. Um, there may be some work that's begun to be done. Into that kind of late teens, that kind of 18 to kind of 21, uh, reality is becoming, it, it, things are becoming reality, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Um more attention to the plans they're making uh the individual is entering work potentially or doing very specific 
education to get into the line of work they want to get into and training, further education, that stuff, that kind of stuff. Then early 20s, 21 to about 25, let's say, um, trying it out. Is this what I want to do? I've always thought I wanted to be Mr. Collins, the teacher from playing at kids and teachers as a young kid. I've explored it as a teenager and now I'm beginning to work through. I've got my PGCE and everything. I'm 23 um, and I'm trying it out and hopefully I stay in the industry and don't get burned. But there's that sense of I'm checking it out still at early doors. Then we move into life stage three. And this may be where many of you lot are at. Establishment. That sense of, I don't know, somewhere from your kind of early mid 20s up to maybe your 40s or something like that, 40, mid 40s. That trial is becoming much more in depth. Um, we've tested that suitability of, of ourselves and of the sector and the job. Is being a teacher what you thought it was going to be? No, I'm really disappointed. It's not what I expected. And I'm having to reframe all my choices. Or, yeah, it is. And I'm on my way. And then it leads into establishment, that sense of stabilizing, I guess. Um, I, I know what I'm good at. I've got patterns emerging. Not that you just dialing it in, but I know how to do my job and I know how to do it well. I know how to lean onto my experience and my education, my training, um, and that kind of attempt to kind of grow my career and grow my work position is successful. Stage four, maintenance. So we're into our kind of 40s up to about, well, he, he would suggest up to 64 because um, we would retire at 65 when he was doing this. We will all end up retiring much later than that, I would assume. Um, and it's just summarized as your work position is consolidated. It's that sense that you are on top of your game. Maybe you're in a senior position. You know what you're doing. You've seen it all before. You've been around the block a few times. And you know how to, you're good at doing that job. You're steering and leading younger members of the team. You know what you're doing. You're maintaining your career for 20 odd years. And then he has life stage five decline, which is cheery, isn't it? At 65, basically, it was retirement or a reduction into semi-retirement in your working role. Now, perhaps when he was coming up with this stuff, even as recently as the 90s, but certainly further back than that, Generally, as people retired, our um, life expectancy was, was lower, was shorter. And so we might retire and have a few years with varying degrees of health, uh, both physically and mentally, before decline is definite. Um, whereas now, if we retired at 65, we would expect to have at least 10 or 15 fairly sprightly years to get us to kind of 75-ish where you, you've still got a lot about you. I know people in that age bracket who are running marathons and then you might think I'll start to wind down at 80 but I'm still sharp and know what I'm doing and actually we would think of someone as very old once they hit 90 perhaps and they need a bit more support and care. So that's changed a little bit from when he was coming up with that model. I think if we have a little thing to frame it around the position of a worker, I guess. So that child who's developing their ideas. We're going to use the example of engineering because uh, it's a fairly easy one to get a head around. The kid who likes to play with Lego and uh, Meccano and all that sort of stuff and build stuff and smash things to bits and rebuild it and take it to bits. So that's the kid. They're exploring it. They know what they like. And then they get into that career. They become... Uh, an, an apprentice, let's say. So as a 16-year-old, they're getting into the industry. Um, 
they studied options that were more hands-on at school. They did engineering and things like that at school. And they're a 16-year-old apprentice. They're watching and learning and doing and developing themselves. Then they're becoming that permanent worker, albeit perhaps a junior member of the team. And then through that kind of 20s to 40s where they're working their way up to become a senior engineer. That maintenance stage for this engineer would be, yep, I've got my senior position, got decent pay. I'm applying the skills I've got. I'm sharing those skills with that new apprentice who's learning off me. I know what I'm doing. And actually decline, they retire from engineering. Do they just go on the scrap heap and cease to be of use? Probably not. I think increasingly they might be used uh, to do like outreach with schools and college and call back in as a volunteer. They might be called upon as a real expert engineer to support the apprenticeship training aspect for that large engineering company. Do you see what I mean? So you're not useless anymore, um, but your kind of day-to-day paid work, working a full-time job is probably going to decline out. Even that example, which is perfectly valid for someone nowadays, feels a little bit dated. And any younger listeners out there, you are you're going to pass through a very different careers landscape. And even me, as someone in my kind of early, <laughs> mid 40s, um, there will be a number of changes along the way. The research shows that we will pass through a number of different employment sectors in our career. And we certainly won't have one job for life, but we probably won't even stay in one tight sector for life. Much as my, um, I've jumped from IT to banking, to youth work, to careers within education, you can see how I've made a few sidesteps. And some of those sidesteps may be really easy and organic. And sometimes you might need to step back down the ladder a few rungs, hop onto another ladder and start to climb that one. Sometimes get that pencil case, go back to university as a mature student and get the new qualifications that help you jump over to that other ladder and progress up that one. So life is different nowadays, isn't it? What about some other factors that maybe don't quite fit in this model? Taking a career break to start a family or taking a career break to do some traveling and just kind of whilst I've got a bit of time and money and the youth to enjoy it, I'm going to stop working and go and do something fun for a bit and then I'll jump back on the careers wagon in a, in a 18 months. What about being made redundant? Like I'd thrown my example in there. What about spending a long period unemployed where you're struggling to get back into work? What about life? Life can be unkind sometimes. It can knock you off course. So everything's going great. You're doing what you wanted to do. You're good at it and you suffer an injury, which could be physical. It could be a mental um, I'm not sure mental injury is quite the right word, but, you know, a moment of crisis that knocks you off course and you have to step out of that career but you just can't stay in there anymore. Are those 65-year-olds or thereabouts really for the scrap heap and the care home? No. What value can we add in our retirement or our semi-retirement or moving away from our employment sector but as a really vibrant volunteer in something that you're passionate about? A lot of things to think about. I am going to quickly whiz over a bit more of uh, Mr. Super uh, and his um, and his theories because he went on to build this other one, which I think I might like a little bit more and might fit with you. So at the top of the um, 
the top of the thing that he's talking about is self. That's what everything is propping up, if you will. And self is built on pillars. And one pillar might be the economy, um, schooling, social policy, employment practice, the labor market. This all feels quite careersy, doesn't it? The society that you're in, um, maybe political choices within that as well. The peer group, your family. So if certainly if we rewind a generation, if you grew up uh, where I am in kind of South Yorkshire around the steelworks in the 1960s, your community, your family, your peer group, even the school that was pointing you, the expectations of society in the labour market would point you into the steelworks or into the mines if you were in another part of the country. And that feels really familiar. But you can see how that's a big pillar that's propping you up at the top. And on top of that, you can throw in those development um, stages that we looked at earlier. So you don't just become an expert steel worker. You go in as the apprentice and you learn and you're junior and you're working your way up and so on. Um, another pillar that this is built on, and this is what I like because it's got a bit more self-reflection, your sense of self, your values, um, your interests, your ethics, your um, maybe you've got a particular skill, a special skill that you've, you're really, really um, good at, your general kind of aptitudes and, and skills, your standard of intelligence some jobs involve a certain way of thinking some things are very complex like intellectually um, to get your head around some things are very complex in a more kind of um, physical or kind of hands-on way so that kind of special skills takes something to be a world-class engineer working on real precision stuff in the same way it takes something to be a professor of some very profound and difficult thing to think about the needs that you might bring that involves self-reflection you know the the barriers you face but you also know the needs that you have um and again that sense of personality achievement and then we're kind of building onto that those life stages again because that's looking at those um kind of five stages of growth exploration establishment maintenance and decline from that sense of who am i while the other pillar is a bit more like what will I do and what do I want to do? And I guess the very, the ground, the foundation that holds up these pillars is your geography, your biology. Um, are you able? Is, is, are there jobs there? Are there expectations? Wherever you are listening to this, um, the lifestyle that you lead is only down to good fortune of where and when and how you were born. And there are people in the world right now living in full-on abject poverty who don't have the opportunities that you have. And it's just good fortune. So that's the foundation. I can't choose to be a professor if actually I'm worrying where my next meal is coming from because I live in the poorest part of the world and no one will give me the opportunity. It's much more likely here we are in the kind of developed world where there's access to education and you can get a, a funded university place that you might work your way to the top and become an academic expert for example and that sense of self is the kind of capstone if you will on top of those pillars so i quite like that imagery and that might help you think about i think that's important actually to think about who you are as much as what you want to be what you want to do and so on so i guess if not quite sure i've got any top tips on this one my biggest top tip would be self-reflect 
let's go with that as a top tip. Top tip is top tip number one is self-reflect. And one uh, A, who are you? That pillar, who are you? Uh, needs, values, interests, skills, aptitudes, intelligence. Who are you? Top tip one B. Um, what stage of life are you at? Um, you know that sense of community, school, family, society, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it goes a little bit further, I suppose, really, of what stage of your career are you at, if we think back to those five stages. And I guess the other top tip is more of a question for you. Is there a set path? Are you that 1960s engineer who's very much on a set path and is not very likely to become a university lecturer? Are there hopes and dreams that you did in that kind of fantasy stage of life, growth, zero to 14, where you wanted to be the train driver, the cowboy, the ballet dancer, but you've let those dreams die. And how realistic is it that they should die? How realistic is it that you're too old, it's too late? Or is it still worth thinking about? I'll leave that ringing in your ears. Thank you as always so much for listening. Um, we're going to continue a little bit with this kind of self-reflection little mini-series, which will um, wrap up in a, in a few weeks' time. But thank you as always for listening. Um, as I always say, um, I don't really know what I'm doing with this kind of stuff. <laughs> but um, do click like, do drop a review, do give us a five stars, hopefully, uh, rather than one star. Um, but most importantly, I, I think for me, when I talk to my friends about have you seen that new film, that comedy special, have you listened to this podcast? I'm talking to people who I know that's the kind of thing they're into or that they'll benefit from listening to so it's always worth saying to someone particularly if one of the episodes goes oh that's my friend needs that one then point them in my direction but until next time thank you so much for you for listening and i will see you wherever we go next week